This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 2, we're going to look at one text and then share some things that I, I think will challenge you and encourage you tonight. 1 Corinthians 2 reminds us of what God can do through believers who are converted in spirit control. In the case of the Apostle Paul, he was a persecutor. He wreaked havoc on the church. But like the other apostles, saved, surrendered to the Lord, when the Lord Jesus is living his life through a disciple, there's power. And, and there's uh, fruit that can only be explained that God, God did it, fruit that lasts. God had done a, a, such a work in the city of Corinth, and Paul reminds those believers and brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ in Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit, and of power. That's what we were just talking about. The Spirit's working through a life. That your faith, in other words, what the Lord is doing through me, as I yield to Him, my faith, would then influence your faith, that you should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Do you see a theme here? Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are uh, perfect, Yet not the wisdom of the world, nor the princes of this world, that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. I could preach a whole message tonight just on the references to the Spirit in this text and the difference that the Spirit of God makes in a life Yielded to him. God did that in the life of the Apostle Paul. And a few centuries ago, God did that in the life of another man, a man by the name of John Bunyan. There are so many similarities between Paul's life and Bunyan's life from the standpoint of weakness and then uh, the mighty work that, that God uh, did, and also the opposition that a spirit-filled life uh, faces many times as we surrender to the Lord from the enemies of the cross. Paul experienced that. Bunyan experienced that. And so the last verse that, that we concluded with tonight, verse 10, God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. The Lord promised that His Spirit would lead us 
into truth. And when we search out the things of God and we yield to the Spirit of God to illuminate our thoughts, it is amazing (laughs) what we can see from the mind of God, the continuity in Scripture, but, but, but the deep things of God, the spiritual things that we can compare with other spiritual things that are intended not only to amaze us about our God, but then to take those truths and to let our God teach us how to walk as pilgrims. We have the wonderful truth of Scripture, but those who have yielded the Spirit of God then have left us a great heritage, a wealth of material, our hymnody. We're going to say a little bit more about that later. But then also some great works uh, hymns that were written under duress as, as saints were yielding to the Spirit of God in hard times, and then works of literature <laughs> that God gave us as those who were going through hard times, yielded to the Spirit of God, applied truth to their own journey, their own pilgrimage, and, and uh, it's in print for us. It's a wonderful help to us, and uh, probably no other work Uh, expresses that more than than the work that we know as Pilgrim's Progress. Now, my question tonight is how many of you, if you haven't, there's no reason for shame, but how many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress? Can I see your hands? All right, many, probably about half of us. I hope that as we work through this series that it'll whet your appetite to go and read it for yourself. On the screen tonight, you also see the cover of a book, The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, It's an updated version of Pilgrim's Progress that uh, the the good folks at um, Answers in Genesis put together back. I think the copyright on it is 2006. And it's actually a curriculum for you homeschool parents Uh, You can use this and go through the Pilgrim's Progress. It's well illustrated. You can teach your children from this book. Years ago, Renee and I, right after this came out, we did this for about a year through our family devotions. We went through the whole book. And and, uh, I believe it was a great help to our children. But I would encourage you uh, to get it. And uh, some of the source material that I'll use for this series is from uh, that work. The forward is by Ken Ham. Our story tonight that we begin starts in England during the time when Roman Catholicism was causing great spiritual darkness. And there was militant disregard for the scriptures. It was happening in, uh, in Europe and it was also happening in the British Isles. The Reformation spreading through Europe was beginning to spread the light of the gospel across the British Isles. People were coming to Christ. A priest at that time said to William Tyndale, quote, we are better to be without God's laws than the popes, end quote. To which Tyndale responded, quote, I defy the pope and all his laws. If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you. Well, God did spare Tyndale's life long enough to translate the Bible 
into the English language using the original languages. All right, other translations have been ba based on the Latin Vulgate, uh, and, uh, and this one was based on the, the original languages. And then, in God's timing, the Gutenberg Press had been developed, and that allowed Wycliffe's, or uh, I'm sorry, Tyndale's Bible to be translated, uh, or the translation to be widely distributed all over England. His work later became the basis, I think, in fact, about 70% uh, of his work was included in what you and I know as the authorized King James Version. Because he dared to believe what he printed, Tyndale was imprisoned five, for 500 days, convicted of heresy, then strangled and burned at the stake in 1536. When he died, here were his last words. Lord, open the king of England's eyes. The king at that time was Henry VIII, who had broken with Rome and made himself the head of the Church of England because he wanted his divorce to be legal. The throne under Henry's descendants switched their loyalties back and forth between Rome and the beliefs of the Reformers right up until the time of James I, who was Scottish, but he ruled England and also Scotland for 22 years. Although he was the driving force behind the 1611 King James Bible, he was more interested in power than he was the truth. Although he listened to Puritan complaints about restrictions on their religious freedoms, he ultimately opposed their thinking and biblical teaching. He was going to do what he wanted to do. As life became more unbearable for those who followed the scriptures, many left England, including the pilgrims. And we know them as the separatists. They were not interested in trying to transform uh, or reform, rather, the church in England, they separated. They wanted to worship, uh, get a fresh start, and just worship according to the Scripture and conscience. They settled in Plymouth Colony, 1620. And then the other group, the Puritans, they were non-separating Congregationalists. That's what they preferred to call themselves. They settled in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, Eight years later, 1628. And so they had come here. But meanwhile, in England, religious and political upheaval caused a division between the crown and parliament. Oliver Cromwell, an outspoken Puritan, led the forces of parliament against the throne, uh, defeated it. He did away with the throne. One of his soldiers was a man... You'll recognize his name, John Bunyan. You may not know this, but Bunyan was uh, one of the soldiers in, in Cromwell's army that helped defeat the crown. So later when we work through Pilgrim's Progress and the author is talking about warfare, uh, armor, and that kind of thing, you have to realize that the author knew exactly what he was talking about because he had been one of Cromwell's men. 
But at the time of that struggle, there was another struggle taking place inside Bunyan spiritually. God brought two great helps into Bunyan's life at that time. First, he obtained a copy of Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians, and that commentary, of course the Word of God being explained, convinced him that salvation was through faith alone. He also met the preacher, John Gifford, who explained to him forgiveness, salvation, and then discipled Bunyan. By the way, as we work through Pilgrim's Progress, we're going to meet a man called Evangelist. Evangelist is the character that was developed from what Bunyan remembered of John Gifford. John Bunyan joined Gifford's congregation after being saved and himself became a preacher, would work through the countryside preaching everywhere that he could, though he had no formal theological training. Like the early church, he had just had uh, a good mentor, a good disciple, taught him the word of God and equipped him for what God was going to call him to do. When Cromwell died and the monarchy was restored under Charles II, the king began to take away religious freedom again. Known as nonconformists, many Christians refused to use the Church of England's Book of Common Prayer. They just believed that if we're going to talk to God, we don't need a book to help us do it. Just talk to God. At the time, Charles II was also requiring his subjects to attend state churches. These nonconformists said, no, we'll gather with other believers. Uh, we don't need a state church. Bunyan was arrested in November of 1660 for noncompliance, and he spent the next 12 years of his life in prison. The stories are told about uh, the fact that Bunyan had a blind daughter, her name was Mary, and that Mary, in her blindness, would make her way to this prison, and back in the day, you might get a little bit of food to sustain you, but usually it depended on the families to get food to the prisoners. And so Mary, blind Mary, would come meet with her father over and over, bring him things to eat, and, uh, and that was some of the blessing, but also some of the hardship of those years that he spent uh, in the prison. When questioned whether he would leave off preaching, okay, to get out of prison, he quoted John Wycliffe, the morning star of the Reformation, and here's what he said. A church man came, they were trying to get Bunyan to, to agree to stop preaching, and here's what he said to the church man, quote, Wycliffe saith, that he which leaveth off preaching and learning of the word of God for fear of excommunication of men. He is already excommunicated of God and shall be in the day of judgment counted a traitor to Christ. They were bold for the truth. During his imprisonment, the prison's, prison was Bedford County Jail, he supported his family by making shoelaces and writing several books. 
He didn't just sit around and complain and moan and get bitter. He stayed productive. Here are some of the books that he wrote during that time. Maybe you've heard of them, Profitable Meditations. Another one, Christian Behavior. This one is probably of this batch the most known, The Holy City. He also wrote, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. Royal Pardon, May 1672. He became pastor of an independent congregation in Bedford. Their church building was a barn. That's where they met to worship. Five years later, he would be arrested again for preaching without a license. He spent six months in a jail on the bridge over the Use River. It was there that he wrote another book to entertain his children when they would come to visit him in that one-room jail. So he wrote, with his children in mind, illustrations, stories, but applying biblical truth. And when they would come, he would sit through the bars he would read to his children. You've heard of the book that he wrote. It's that famous work, Pilgrim's Progress. After a six-month imprisonment, Bunyan was released and went back to preaching and writing. In the fall of 1688, the faithful pastor became seriously ill after getting caught in a rainstorm. That night he was making a pastoral visit, seeking to reconcile a father and son. He was laid to rest in London's Burnhill Fields where other nonconformists were buried. Several years ago, I had the opportunity, on a Holy Land trip, we spent two and a half days in London, and we ended up at this cemetery. We got to see Bunyan's grave, his tomb. By the way, when you visit there, you can see the tombs of other nonconformists, including Susanna Wesley, the mother of Methodism because of her boys. And also Isaac Watts, the father of English hymnody. So those tombs are all there. Pilgrim's progress in many ways mirrors the pilgrim's journey, the pilgrim journey of John Bunyan. A man who at the time of his conversion felt like he had a massive pack weight on his back and to those that he turned to for answers there were none until he came to the cross as one of the greatest allegories ever written it reveals pilgrim's progress reveals spiritual insights into christian theology and practical sanctification that most believers never learn but I would remind us tonight that it was written to be a children's devotional while dad was in prison. Read it to your kids. I hope to change that many believers do not understand the deep truths of scripture that, that are allegorized and explained in Pilgrim's Progress. I hope to change that so that as we read tonight in 1 Corinthians 2.10, 
we understand the deep things of God that are revealed by the Spirit of God. Things that the Spirit of God revealed to an English pilgrim whose life as a sinner and soldier led him to the foot of the cross. His journey from the bondage of sin to the beauty of the celestial city is meant to help us measure our progress as one of God's pilgrims. And so the series that I'll give you the title, what we're going to be studying the next few weeks or or through the summer and just as God leads, is the title of the series is Measuring the Pilgrim's Progress. Looking at what he wrote and that, that exciting story is really meant to help you and I measure our progress as pilgrims. And I hope that God will use it to encourage us uh, and uh, challenge us in our journey for, for the Lord. Let's stand together. God, thank you for our time together tonight. Would you teach us by your spirit the spiritual truths that You taught Bunyan that he illustrated through words. And Lord, bring us to the cross for those that aren't saved. And then Lord, help us to be careful in our journey to avoid the pitfalls, the despair, the enemies that are there. Be careful who our counselors are. Because, Lord, thank you that in Christ we are headed to the celestial city. That we'll cross uh, those waters into the place that you have for us. Use our study to make us ready. Help us to walk with you daily, though, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.